We are continuing our series on the fire pit effect, and I do want to say, because I don't think I said it earlier, but happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there on the interwebs that are watching this worldwide, worldwide, <laughs> streaming worldwide, I know. So all you moms in foreign countries, not the United States, also, I don't know if you celebrate Mother's Day, but today's your day, whether you know it or not. And so... <laughs> Yeah, well, and no, in YouTube, I think you can put language subtitles in there. So, you know, whatever language you have at the bottom of the screen, happy Mother's Day to you. And we are continuing a series called The Fire Pit Effect. In fact, we are finishing this series up today. This is the fourth part of the series, and it's going to be our last week as we're studying in the book of Galatians. And we've been using this, this analogy of a fire pit to help us understand. And by the way, now you can gather outside. If you want to go have a bonfire, you can do that socially distanced. Um, but the, we're using the analogy of the fire pit, and we talked about, somebody put something funny in the comments. Because you're like talking a million miles an hour. I am talking fast. how much coffee you had. I had one cup of coffee, that's it. Um, Panera beer. coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's the beard. My face is just, it's a lot more, you know, athletic at the moment. It has less weight holding my jaw down so my jaw can move faster. That's it. So <laughs> we'll get on track here, don't worry. Um, so we're using the, I'll slow down, I'll try to slow down and take a breath. I'm all excited because I really like that new song. Um, but uh, we're doing the fire pit effect and uh, we're using this analogy. So in the first week, we t- we're studying the book of Galatians and we talked about how we gather around the fire pit of faith, not around the fire pit of religion. And that means that we are not saved by our works, by keeping a certain moral code or checking things off on a list. We are saved by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and that alone. The second week, we talked about the fact that everyone is welcome around the, around the fire, that, that no one is excluded. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and trust him for salvation, and you too can sit around the fire. There's no prerequisites. There's nothing you have to do or clean up or get right or reconcile before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, and then he works on anything after that. And then last week, we talked about staying close to the fire, that contrast between when you're close to a fire and the front of your body gets really warm, but the back of your body gets cold, you felt that. And we talked about the difference between learning to walk in the spirit, and that's the warmth of the fire, and walking in the flesh, and that's walking in our human nature and human wisdom, and the mistakes that come along with that. We even talked about that a little bit before that second song that we did today. We're going to get to another part of the analogy today um, that I think is going to be really helpful, not just for us individually, but for us as a church, for us together. Have you ever noticed that in the firelight, people are more attractive? Wow. (laughs) Yes. I wanted that to get that kind of reaction. People look better around the fire than they do when they're not. I don't know what it is. There's something about the flicker of the flames and the soft, warm light of the fire that like hides imperfections or something. It's it's like the Nashville filter on Instagram, but in real life. And uh, so there's something about, that's the reason that you go to fancy restaurants and they have a candle in the middle of the table, right? It helps with first dates. It makes the person, that's why, that is the reason in case you didn't know that. You can look, just Google that. And, uh, but it, it makes us look more attractive. Like you ever been sitting around the fire and you're like, man, you're like, and maybe it's because it's like the light is a little dim too or something, but you know, there's something to that. And then some guy just turns on the LED flashlight and ruins the whole thing. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I didn't, you know, <laughs> I, didn't, I don't put on makeup, but assuming I did, I didn't put on my makeup. 
there's something that happens in the light of the fire that uh, that draws us together. There's something special about that kind of light. I don't know exactly how to, how to describe that, but I just know that it's true, and you probably do too. And so we're going to talk about that idea today, what that means to see in the light of the fire. All right, so we're going to go um, and, and recap a bit and transition from last week into this week if you go to Galatians chapter 5. And Galatians is in the New Testament, and I'm actually not open to Galatians in this Bible at the moment but it is here, okay? If you're looking for how far through, um, let's see if that'll stay open there. Yeah, good. Um, and so Galatians chapter five, we just talked about the spirit and the importance of walking in the spirit rather than walking in the flesh. And we're gonna draw that idea out a little bit more today, but apply it in a little different way than we did last week. So Galatians chapter five, um, starting in verse 13. And we sang about this just a minute ago. The very first song we sang today was freedom, and we talked about freedom and what that means. Uh, Paul puts it this way, Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, or freedom, you've been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. That's what we talked about last week. But, this is where we're going to transition, but through love serve one another. Serving each other is the antithesis to using your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He says this in 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So the alternative to serving others is serving up others for ourselves. And this is the danger of living in the flesh, is that we live in such a way that we think that everyone else exists to serve us, as opposed to understanding that we exist to serve others. We get that backwards. And he gives us, basically he says, if you live in the flesh, you're going to eat each other alive. He uses, I mean, imagine the terms that he uses here are pretty graphic when you think about it. If you bite, like if I chewed down on someone's arm, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And isn't that what happens when we live in the flesh? People just use other people for their own needs. They, they, they get other people to serve them, and I'll be your friend, or I'll be close to you, and I'll do, as long as you're giving me what I need, but as soon as you're not giving me what I need anymore, I'm going to move on. I mean, this happens in marriages, it happens in social relationships, it happens in jobs, it happens in churches, it happens all over the place. I'm with you as long as you are for me, and as soon as you're not for me anymore, then I'm no longer with you. Be careful, because if you live that kind of life, what you do is you eat everything up around you. You eat up all the relationships around you, you bite and devour until eventually you are consumed by each other. And he's saying that is not what you're going to do if you're walking in the Spirit. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to serve one another in love. As we look on to verse 22 in chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit or the outcome of the Spirit, the display of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, that's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. This is acting in the character of Christ, and it is, these are all serving words. 
And, and I think it's important that even as we come out of last week and we're preparing to go into this week, that we look at that list and we hold ourselves up against that list. Not in a harsh way, but to look and say, am I? I want to encourage you to look at that list and say, am I? Am I loving? Am I joyful? Am I peaceful? Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I good? Am I faithful? Am I gentle? And am I self-controlled? If there's any of those that you hesitated on, and I bet there is because there's some that I hesitated on. If there are things there that you hesitated on, those are probably areas where you are walking in the flesh rather than walking in the spirit. And we know those are places where we need to turn more control and trust and direction over to the spirit in our life. So those are areas for us to work on. And so he goes on and he says in verse 25, if we live by in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. And he tags us on again. Here's the same idea again, 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's living by the flesh, even now he's talking in the context of the churches in Galatia. So, I mean, even within our church. Living in the flesh will cause us, will be provocative among us. It will cause conceit and it will cause envy. Basically what's happening in this church and could easily happen in ours if we're not careful about it, is that people are creating pedestals. In some cases, they're creating pedestals for themselves and lifting themselves up over other people. That's conceit. And in some cases, people are creating pedestals for other people and lifting them up and, and wanting to be where they are, and that's envy. So whether you're creating the pedestal for yourself or you're creating the pedestal for someone else, Paul says you got to watch out for that. That's not walking in the Spirit. That's walking in the flesh. And it will create division amongst us, comparison amongst us, and cause us not to operate as a team but as competitors. It's almost like, uh, have, you ever seen, have you ever seen one of those uh, Spartan races? Any, if, you've, if you've participated in a Spartan race, comment on, on the, the YouTubes there. Um, have you ever seen them? I've seen them on, on, the, on the, uh, the television screen before and, uh, and felt like I could do it, you know? Like I watched it, I was like, it doesn't look that hard. I said it about flying. I said it about flying airplanes too. How hard, I mean, it's really just the takeoff and the landing. That's that's the hard part. But um, and <laughs> but uh, no, it, it definitely is hard to do those races. But you've seen the the one uh, obstacle they have is this wall they have to get over. Right? This big tall wall. It's covered in mud and it's slick and everything. And so they have to operate as a team in order to get over that wall. And so someone has to be on the bottom, and then someone gets on their shoulders, and then someone climbs up them like a ladder and finally gets up to the top. And then they start pulling people up from there, and they have to work as a team. And that is the way, in, in many ways, a, a church is supposed to operate if we're operating in the Spirit. We're lifting each other up and pulling each other up to get to where we want to be, which is you know, holiness, righteousness, not because it earns salvation, but because it pleases God. And so... Um, we should be working as a team, but it's what's happening in this church and could happen other places is basically someone got lifted up to the top and when they looked down, they went, why aren't you up here yet? And, and they're not reaching their hand down to help the next person up. They're looking down and judging the other person for not being up where they are. It's, it's ludicrous, right? Or the person is at the bottom and sees the person at the top and goes, oh man, I wish I was up there, but they won't reach their hand up to actually grab and get pulled up. They're just looking and wishing. And so that is conceit and that is envy. 
and the other opposite of what happens when we're walking in the Spirit. So if you're finding yourself comparing yourself to other people, whether that's looking down at them or looking up to them, then be very careful because those ideas are not coming from the Spirit. Those ideas are coming from the flesh. All right, so what do we do instead? What do we do instead? Let's go to the beginning of chapter 6. So that's the very next verse from where we just left off. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, and he uses that word, it's basically brothers. So he's saying, we're, you know, even in that word, he's saying we're all in this together. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, there's a lot, there's a lot here. There's a lot here, and we really need to look deeply at this and the verses that are coming to understand the depth of what Paul is getting at. So as we read this verse, in order to understand it, I'm going to give an analogy that helps me picture this whole thing, and maybe it'll help you picture this whole thing too. I want you to think not about somebody sinning, but I want you to think about somebody getting attacked by a bear. Marie just made a bear, like, motion, <laughs> all right? I want you to think about somebody getting attacked by a bear. Because, all right, and, and roll with me on this, okay? Everybody in the room is like, what? Everybody's like, what's, what, yeah, what's going on? Wondering where we're going. Here's, here's where we're going. Look at the, the way he phrases this. Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, the sense of the word that he uses here, being overtaken, is that someone is running from sin but in this case, in this instance, with this thing, sin is faster. So they're trying to run from sin. They're trying to get away from sin, but they are overtaken by sin. So it's like a bear attack because when a bear attacks, you don't have to be the fastest person in the group. You just can't be the slowest person in the group. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right. You see where I'm like, here's where we're going. Here's where we're going with this. Here's where we're going with this. It's as if you're in a group of people. Roll with me here, all right? It's as if you're in a group of people and a bear comes charging at you. And imagine that might be the sin of sexual immorality or it might be the sin of pride or it might be the sin of, of, uh, of, of lying or deceit. It could, be the sin, it could be a lot of different things. But that bear comes after the group. And sin's always coming after us. As Christians, sin's always coming after us. And a bunch of people can get away because they're fast enough to outrun the bear. But there's someone in the group that can't outrun the bear for some reason. Now, it might be their history, it might be how young a believer they are, it might be the situations they put themselves in, it might be the lifestyle that they've chosen to live that's made them susceptible, it doesn't matter. But there's one person in the group who's slower, and they get overtaken by the bear. They get attacked by the bear. What do you do? Do you keep running and leave them behind? Well, that would be a selfish thing to do. Some might say it's a wise thing to do, but I would say it would be the selfish thing to do given the scenario. No, the right thing to do is to go back and help them. So those of you who are, so if a man is overtaken in any trespass, if they're caught by the bear, you who are spiritual. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're uber spiritually mature, that you've been a Christian for a very long time. Or you, Those of you who are spiritual, those of you who are walking in the Spirit, you think of the context of everything he's been talking about in the book of Galatians, those of you who are walking in the Spirit rather than walking in the flesh, when you see somebody get overtaken by sin, you go back to restore them. You go back to help them. 
Now, unfortunately, it's just people, the faster runners turn around <laughs> and help the one who's slower, who's being overtaken. The tendency, quite frankly, and this is so sad, but the tendency in the church is for the fastest runners to turn around and look at the slower runners and say, why are you so slow? Why aren't you faster? Can't you just, I mean, what's your problem? You know, I, you're running. Why can't you run from this? Why can't you outrun this bear? You say you're a Christian. Do you not have enough faith? Why can't you get, why can't you get away from this one? Something must be wrong with you. The tendency is to look back and to judge the slower runner, to look back and judge the person who's been overtaken in sin, rather than having compassion and empathy and realizing as a faster runner, you're slower against some other bears. Okay, there are other bears that overtake you. So to be able to look back with empathy, it's not to look back and say, what's wrong with you? Or after they get attacked and the bear's gone, to look at them and say, walk it off. Get over it. That is a, it is a judgmental, from the pedestal looking down kind of mentality. He says, those of you, any of you who's overtaken by a trespass, those of you who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. It, it's one of... I, one of the most powerful words in the English language, in my opinion, is the word empathy. The ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And to say, I might be faster here, but I was slower once. I might be faster here, but I'm slower in other places. And so when I look at a Christian being overtaken by a sin, I don't see someone below me. I see someone who's the same as me. And if I'm faster, and if in, in this case, and if this is a sin that I have the strength to withstand, I shouldn't judge them because I have the strength to withstand it. I should go back and help them because I have the strength to withstand it. Now he says, and he's careful about this, he says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So if if you can't beat this bear, be careful because you might go back to help and you might, you might be lunched too. <laughs> so make sure that you're being very wise about how you're helping and where you're helping and who you're helping to make sure that you have the spiritual foundation in that particular sin to uh, fight off that temptation yourself so you don't get caught up into it. And that's, those are places, there are areas where we need to be careful about those kinds of things. But that's what we're supposed to do. And here's what it is in the, within the context of the analogy that we're giving in the series. It is learning to see other people in the light of the fire of faith. We must learn to see other people in the same light that we want to be seen in. Because I will tell you that when I sin and fail, and I do, I... I'm looking for a reaction from Jess. She was writing on the comments, but yeah, she's being respectful. Oh, that's so nice of you. But yeah, I mess up all the time. And uh, I do, and I will, there's no doubt about it. Make no, no, make no bones about it in some big areas and some small areas. And, and here's the reality. For me to expect other people to be empathetic of me and to help me, for me to expect God to forgive me, which he will, 
and to give me grace. For me to see myself in the light of that fire, but then to shine an LED flashlight on everyone else is not right. It's not right. I need to learn to see everyone in the light of the same fire that I see myself in. To give grace and compassion because I want grace and compassion. To see them in the light of the gospel because I am seen in the light of the gospel. And to help them with gentleness because when I fail, I want to be helped with gentleness. And this is what the fruit of the Spirit will lead us to do. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will lead us to see others in the light of the fire the same way that we want to be seen in the light of the fire. This comparison thing, the pedestal thing, it does nobody any good. It only causes harm. Let's keep reading. Galatians chapter 2, now this, or Galatians chapter 6, I'm sorry. It's now chapter 2, or verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. No pun intended on the bear thing, by the way. I just realized that. Bear one another's, I didn't catch it before. Maybe that's what inspired me to think of the analogy. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Remember the law, love your neighbor as yourself. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. I love the way Paul puts that. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Now, on the surface, this actually looks like Paul is contradicting himself, doesn't it? Because at verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens. And then in verse 5, he says, for each one shall bear his own load. Well, what's he talking about? Well, this, this actually makes perfect sense. The, uh, he says we're supposed to bear each other's burdens, but the caution is that you could allow pride to slip into even that process. Because the temptation is to judge by comparison. The temptation might be to bear someone else's load and to do that in a selfish or a fleshly way. To help somebody because it makes me feel better about me. <laughs> to help someone because it puts me in a position of authority over them that I'm the savior and I'm swooping in to help them. And so I am in a position up here coming in to save the lowly soul who is caught by their temptation and their sin. You could easily become a prideful situation and think that you're notching things in your belt because you're helping all these poor people that can't help themselves. That is not the mentality that we're supposed to have. He's, what he's saying is you should bear one another's burdens because you're acting and walking in the spirit you're acting out of love, and you're allowing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control to be what flows through you. So you're helping other people. But don't let that make you think that you're something special because you do that. You are responsible for you, and you don't get extra points or anything because of what they do. You don't get positive points if they respond to it. You don't get negative points if they don't respond to it. You're, resp you're ultimately responsible for you. My sense of confidence and joy should come from my own faithfulness, not by comparing myself to another person and whether that's for better or for worse. It's my own faithfulness. And it's okay for me to be proud of the faithfulness that I'm displaying to God. That's ultimately our goal. So for me to be like, yes, I'm being faithful. This is amazing. That's, that's good. But that's not putting confidence in my strength. It's putting confidence in the spirit, joy in the spirit. And then when I help someone, here's, here's the key to me. I am helping you for your benefit. I am not helping you for my benefit. 
And that's the real problem here that Paul is trying to warn us. Bear one another's burdens, but don't bear one, another, one another's burdens for your own benefit. Bear their burdens for their benefit. You be proud of the fact that you're being faithful. All right, you're doing it for them. This is a real uh, temptation. It's a real temptation to do good things for selfish motivation. There's actually a whole episode of Friends. Anybody who's a Friends <laughs> fan, there's a whole episode of the show Friends where Phoebe is trying her best to find a truly selfless act. And she can't find a truly selfless act because it always makes her feel good about herself at the very least, even if she doesn't get something out of it. And I think there is something to be learned from that. Not that there are no truly selfless acts, but that when we act selflessly and we serve one another, it's okay to feel good about it and to know that you're being faithful and to take joy in that. But we should not do it so that we get something out of it beyond that. And it's very tempting for us as human beings to do that. We do something good. We serve someone in some way. And there's this thing down inside of us that just wants credit from somebody. That just wants somebody to know that we did it. That wants our name on a plaque or our name in the paper. I Listen, I used to work in fundraising and there were a lot of good things about that. A lot of good things happened out of it. But boy, it left a real bad taste in my mouth. The number of people that I interacted with who were only doing it so they could get the tax write-off or so that they could get their name in the paper or so that they could be on the in the certain tier on the brochure. Every time that sort of thing happened, it just sat in my craw, can I say my craw? <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing, but and it, got in, it got in my craw. That's a thing. I'm pretty sure that's a thing. Uh, it just bothered me. And I never quite understood why it bothered me, but I understand now it's because that is serving someone, someone in the flesh. And that doesn't mean it's wrong to take the tax write-off, and it doesn't mean it's wrong to have your name in the paper and the certain circle in the brochure. But that's a question of motivation for us. Why am I doing this? Why am I serving people? And I look at our church and I see people that are serving people all over the place. I mean, even through the situation that we've, we've been through, um, uh, so I don't know if you mentioned, I think you mentioned in the comments, somebody brought us all breakfast here this morning, but I'm not going to name them, all right? They don't want to be named. <laughs> and, they didn't do it, and they didn't do it for any credit. All right, I see people who are dropping things off at, at people's houses. I see people who are sending encouraging notes to one another. I see things that are happening within our church, and we don't need to get credit for those things. Actually, it's, it's weird because it is so expected by people that when you don't try and you intentionally do not want credit for something, but a lot of times people don't understand it. We, we do that um, as a church, and you probably don't even know about it because, again, we don't publicize it, but we'll often let um, people use our sound system or we'll go and provide, you know, do music for this thing or for that thing or whatever it is, and, and we don't advertise those things. We, we were doing one not too long ago, and the guy who was running it was like, well, let me put your logo on our, on our brochure and our invite thing that's handed out. And I was like, no, no, don't. I mean, I do not. This is not marketing for us, and in a way... As individuals, our good works can sometimes become marketing, like personal marketing. Let me make sure that everybody knows me. And sometimes it's it, even with social issues where we want to put our opinion out about something that we have nothing to do with, we're, it's a marketing effort. And, and what we're doing, we're creating a pedestal. 
We're creating a pedestal because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Or we're trying to create a pedestal so that other people will look up to us. It's either conceit or it's trying to to create envy. And we have to be very careful of that. What Paul is recommending is a scenario in which we as brothers and sisters in Christ, understanding our own flaws and our own weaknesses, look at our brothers and sisters who have flaws and weaknesses, and where we are strong enough to withstand the temptation ourselves, we serve one another and we help each other up without expecting anything out of it for ourselves other than the confidence of knowing we've been faithful. And it's better. And what that will do is it will create a relationship between us. It will create fellowship between us as the church, between each other, that does not get created through selfish fleshly means. All right, he goes on in verse 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. I want to stop there. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him new teaches. And I'm going to toss this out here. And the only reason I bring this, I want, to, I want to tell you how this verse has been abused, first of all. Because some of you may have heard that taught this way. And I bring this up, not to, anytime I bring up a verse that I think is used out of context or used the wrong way, it's, I'm not doing that, I'm trying not to do that in a pride, I'm trying not to do that in a prideful way and saying, oh, well, I know the truth and they don't know the truth. I'm doing it only because it's important for us to know the truth And my fear is this verse is being used wrong by some people and you might hear it used wrong and I want you to be clear about what it means and not to be deceived on it. I think this is used for selfish ambition quite a bit. And the way it's used, believe it or not, you'll see it all over the place, in fact. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And that is used to say, those of you who are part of a church, you better pay your pastor. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. All good things, they say, is money. All of a sudden, that becomes money. Why does that, all good things, why does that become money? Well, it becomes money for somebody who thinks that money is the only good thing. (laughs) And so it gets used that way. That is not at all what this verse is talking about. So somebody says that, that's not what that's saying. I'm not saying that, that churches shouldn't pay their pastors. I get paid. It allows me to devote my life to this. I'm super thankful for that and for your generosity. And our family is and the church is. Um, But that's not what this verse is getting at. This is talking about a beautiful, the fact that it gets cheapened to that really bothers me. This is talking about a beautiful fellowship that happens between the one who helps and the one who is helped. Let him who is taught the word, and in the context of everything Paul's already been saying, that's the sinner who's caught by the temptation, that's overtaken by the trespass. Because they're being taught by those who are spiritual. They're being restored in gentleness. Let him who has taught the word share. And the, sh- the word there for, for share in Greek is the word koinoneo. Koinonia is the word that we use for fellowship. Anytime you see the word koinonia, that's translated to essentially the word fellowship in scripture. It is that bond that's created. It's what we've been talking about in the fire pit effect. And in this case, he's saying, let you who has helped share. It, koinoneo, is, the version of that is about fellowship, but it's about partnership. Let him who is taught the word partner with, be connected with, have fellowship with, 
in all good things. What's, what are the good things that we're talking about in this, these verses? Well, he's talking, the good thing he's talking about is learning to walk in the spirit, progress, spiritual progress and discipleship. Let he who is helped share, have bond and fellowship and all the good things and all the discipleship with him who teaches, the spiritual person who's restoring them. That there's this, this connection that's happening between these two people where you're both, in essence, as one person lifts up another, you're both being lifted up at the same time. That there's a kind of, there's a kind of deep personal relationship that happens when you help someone in an empathetic, sympathetic, compassionate, spirit-filled, spirit-led way instead of in a selfish way. And I'll tell you, from experience, having been on both sides of those equations, it's absolutely true. There are few bonds created that are stronger than when that bond is forged through somebody's pain. And so I want you to think about which side of that equation you may find yourself on today. If you feel like you're the one who's been overtaken, or whether you're the one who's looking at someone who has been and trying to figure out whether you're going back for them or not, or whether you're going to judge them for being slower than you. He goes on and he says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. We've talked about this in earlier, in earlier weeks. If you're spending your time in the flesh, if you're feeding the flesh, you're going to get corruption. You're going to get uh, competition. You're going to get uh, judgmentalism. You're going to get legalism. You're going to get uh, elitism. You're going to get competition. You're going to get all of that. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Do you know what it feels like to lift someone up? It feels like life. Do you know what it feels like to be lifted up? It feels like life. <laughs> He's saying, that's what I want for you. And do it because it's what you're supposed to do. Do it because you're led by the Spirit. Do it because you're being faithful to what God has told you to do, not for what you get out of it. Jesus teaches this concept over and over and over again, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. He hits it like a nail. I mean, over, he's like, he's hammering that thing into the wood. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 3, he says, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. Oh, but it's not a secret, is it? And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Don't worry, because when you do good things, they don't go unrewarded, they don't go unnoticed, but it may be that no person ever sees it. No person ever knows besides the person, the one that you helped, and sometimes the person you helped doesn't even know, depending on what you do and how you do it. But God always knows. He always sees. You know, in the series, we've been learning that our salvation is by faith, not by our works. And it's not kept by our works either. And that we're learning to live in the freedom of the, of the Spirit, knowing that God is not up in heaven keeping a list of all of our wrongs so that he can punish us for them. We don't have to be afraid of that. That's not what he's doing. But make, make no mistake about it. God ke is keeping a list of our deeds. Not so that we can be punished for them, but so that we can be rewarded for them. 
so that when we come to him and we live everlasting life outside of this world as it is right now, whether that's in heaven or whether Jesus comes here, however however it works, whatever the timeline is, that when his kingdom is here, we will be rewarded for the things that we do. And all those things that we've done in secret will be out in the light for him to see and for him to reward. Paul finishes uh, that way, this idea that way in Galatians chapter 6. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially for those who are sitting around the fire. To see them in the same light that we are seen in. And to serve them the the same way that they serve us. The temptation is to try and ensure our own reward while we help other people, to do it to be seen, to make sure somebody knows. But that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help each other because we see them in the same firelight that we want to be seen in. And so I want to ask you a few questions as we're finishing up not only our message for today, but this entire series. We talked about receiving salvation by faith alone. Do you have confidence that that's how your salvation is secured? Or are you still trying to earn it? It'll make all the difference in the world for you in how you live and how you look at Jesus. What your relationship with God looks like. Anybody can receive that. Anybody can believe in Jesus by faith alone, trust alone. That's you, it's your neighbor, whoever's six feet away from you. And so my question is, who are you sharing that with? There's no barrier to them coming to faith. Who are you sharing it with? It's the best news. Because you have believed, God has given you the spirit. So how are you walking? Are you learning to walk by the spirit and more and more and more in your life to listen to him and follow him and trust him? Or are you continuing? to walk in the flesh. Which is it for you? God has given you brothers and sisters in Christ, so how are you seeing them? Are you looking at them in the light of the gospel? Salvation by faith and progress. We're all on a journey, so progress through the Spirit. And helping those who may be slower in certain cases and being helped by those who may be faster in certain cases. Are you growing in your faith and helping others to grow in their faith. These are the big questions we're being asked as we read through the book of Galatians so that we can avoid some of the mistakes that they made and ultimately so that we can not only be the people that God wants us to be, but we can be the church that God wants us to be. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much. I want to thank you for um, leading a guy named Saul to faith in Christ, who we know as Paul. Thank you for inspiring him to help and to serve. Thank you for inspiring him to write these letters so that we can see the struggles that the early churches had and the successes that they had and we can learn from them, whether we're going to emulate them or whether we're going to go in a different direction. And in this case, we've seen a church that has allowed comparison and legalism to creep in and to 
distort what is true and what is good and what will lead them to experiencing everlasting life. And we want to, we want to do better than that. So help us to learn from it. Help us to believe confidently in our salvation through Christ alone. Help us to welcome in anybody who wants to be a part of that without creating any barriers for them that you haven't created. Help us to learn to walk in the spirit instead of in the flesh so that we can experience life. We can see the fruit come out in our life. And help us to see others the same way. With compassion and empathy, show us where you want us to help and encourage each other and restore each other and lift each other up. We need your help to to not only see where those things are, but to show us what to do. And so I pray for all the believers who are watching this, who have your spirit within them, that you would lead them. Maybe you put a name, a person in front of them, a situation, but that you would lead them. For anybody who's participating in this video, who hasn't put their faith in you yet, they can do that now. So God, I pray that you lead them to do that now to believe and express their belief and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Save them, fill them with your spirit so they can begin walking along with us. We trust you with all of it and we thank you for what you've taught us through this book and we look forward to how you want to teach us in the future. It's in your name we pray. Amen.